Dear Lord, we're very grateful for our salvation. Keep us thankful and thinking of it and living in faithfulness to it. In your son's name, amen. Now, there's a few things I am not. I am not liturgical. I don't think Easter is a Christian holiday. Uh, It is named for a Germanic fertility goddess with worship of bunnies and eggs, in case you missed the symbolism. Um, But I like celebrating it because it's a cultural thing that's in our background. And I'm glad that Christian themes are, you might say, included, like the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's also historically placed somewhere kind of around the time of year when the resurrection did happen. But I do change my jacket on Easter. And we have a breakfast on Easter. And so there's squeeze confusing things. I'm also what is, uh, I'm also what is considered a uh, very well-known misogynist. Um, popular well-known misogynist. People come over to hear me just say awful things. (laughs) But over the last few weeks, I have noticed that I've been preaching out of passages. The first was the woman, the urban woman, you know, urban, a woman uh, who is a sinner who anointed Christ's feet with the ointment or her tears and wiped his feet with her tears. There's that one. Then we covered Mary um, uh, anointing his feet and head with uh, nard and and you're probably going to yourself, is this kind of a new modernism at All Souls Christian? As we, and, then, and then Sunday morning, we have a woman, I mean a woman, for heaven's sake, reading the scriptures. And then, right at the top of your sermon notes today, if you need sermon notes, they're in the back in the foyer. Luke 23, 35, the women... Once again, we're starting with a passage where the women, the disciples of Christ that are women, are the feature, a featured element of the story. I want to assure you that all my misogyny is intact. Okay? I am not slipping. I still have the standard ego of a male. But I think it's wonderful. I think it is wonderful that the Lord didn't, just like he did, there's no respecter of Jew and Gentile, he's no respecter, he just shows up at the, the resurrection and the women happen to see him first, and so that's what they write down. They don't clean it up for us misogynists, they don't make it more pleasant for us to have the men be the heroes. The men are not the heroes in this story. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices which they had prepared. This is Luke 24, 1. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. 
And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women with them who told this to the apostles. But the words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. I think it's simple. I was, I think I was driving around town one day this week and I saw a, a sermon reader board. I think real churches have boards out front where they tell you what the sermon's going to be about. Kind of a catchy phrase to get you in the doors on Sunday. And if I wasn't so late in preparing things, we might have something like that. But I stole somebody else's reader board, basically. I, I saw a reference to this passage. Easter's coming up. You say, should I speak on something Eastery, resurrectiony? But as I drove past this church, and it had a phrase about seeking the living among the dead, and it was a liberal church I saw it outside of, so who knows what infamy is being done to that passage. But here we're looking at the passage, and we see the angels saying to the women, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Remember he told you, and then in verse 8, they remembered his words. If you want to know from the beginning what we're looking at this morning, is we have a tendency, even among Christian uh, opportunities, ministries, churches, places to go, people to hang out with, Take that which is living. Remember how it says in Romans, let's see if I can. I think it's about Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So this resurrection thing plays directly into your sense of holiness, piety, walk with the Lord, etc. That's Romans, 8, Romans 6, um, 4 and 5. And it says at the end of this passage, uh, Romans 6, 11, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are living. That's what happened to you when you became a Christian. When he says in Romans 7, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what happened to you if you're a Christian. You were dead in your sins. You were raised by the death and resurrection of Christ to newness of life. You must consider yourselves that way. Raised. Newness of life. And so when the angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Because Christ, the angel knew, was alive. And they were in a graveyard. And we tend, because our remembrance of what it is to be a Christian slips from us. Like the angels then say, do you not remember how he taught you this? How many times have you read through Romans? How many times have you heard another believer quote 
any of this that talks about you being raised to newness of life, that you have a new life in Christ. We have a lot of phrases, a lot of cliches that we work to that end. And then we create almost graveyards in which we kind of attend to these claims of being alive. We end up creating death in the church um, because we don't remember the glory of, what's what's wonderful about Colleen's reading this morning, where Paul goes through the glory of the work of God in Christ, what happened to him, to remind you that you've been cleansed from your old sins. We will tend to seek the living among the dead, but you know how, you've had this experience, where you meet somebody, you don't even know their name yet, and you have a strong suspicion that they're a believer. I'm not, you say, Evan, you might not be a liberal, but you might be a charismatic. There's sort of odd feelings, but look, you believe in a spiritual life. You believe that you have been changed by the work of God in Christ, and when you meet somebody else who has really been changed, who's living that life in front of themselves, who seek the living among the living, you start to recognize those people quickly. It's no longer, boy, I'm going to have to wait till I get to know them for five years before I can develop an opinion about their salvation. Do you remember what the Christian life is about? The angels pointed out Christ's words to the ladies. That's what's wonderful about a long reading through a passage. There's an argument given for what the Christian is. That's when when it said in what were we Acts? What was that? Thirteen. Acts thirteen. Verse 38, let it be known to you therefore, brethren, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Get right down to the business. Same thing you would hear from a Southern Baptist minister in Wook, Iowa. The same thing. The forgiveness of sins and life eternal in the work of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to hear again. It's amazing we forget it. It's amazing that this life can sit in front of us. You've heard me say over the last year or so, this, the, the, the scriptures are the most remarkable ethical achievement in the man's history, even if it is false, what it claims to know. If this was invented by men, these men were geniuses. These men laid a glory in front of you of consistent ethical frame, consistent cosmological uh, involvement, a complete, a, a complete myth filled with hope. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, your knees should get weak when you read it. Even, and, and people do. People hear the tale of Jesus Christ. And they're moved. That's why other religions want to have a little Jesus in them. You know, Jesus is the great prophet in Islam. People have this desire to claim him as one of the ascended masters. He's pretty important. To us, especially, when we remember his words to us, 
when we remember that we as Christians, and most of you have been Christians for at least a few years, you've sat down with other believers and looked at the scriptures together, read them yourself, am I presuming too much? Let's just assume you are the people who are reading the word. We are the people, like the women here, who had wandered around Palestine with Jesus Christ, and they were off doing their dutiful moment because the death of Jesus on the cross was a little obvious to them, and now they're showing up at the tomb, with, and the angels are going, what is up with this? Don't, he told you. Then they go, oh yeah. If the women who followed Jesus Christ had to be brought to the oh yeah moment, with angelic powers. I mean, they're not just guys who um, tell them something different, but they were in dazzling apparel. These guys are not from around here. And the women, it says, bowed their faces to the ground. They were frightened. And, and, and they had been followers of Jesus Christ. This is Mary Magdalene. This is Mary, the mother of James, other, the, the, the various women that, the women's auxiliary, Jesus Christ, women's, women's auxiliary, evangelistic crusade, whatever it was. And they had to be reminded that the story they had been taught and they had professed to somewhat believe, they didn't. They weren't even thinking about it. Because we tend to have the insult of death thrust upon us. The obviousness of the sin of man. And you go out there in the world, you go to school, you go to work, whatever it is you're doing, you raise small children, and that's it. if you ever want proof for sin, raise a few children. So we tend to think we just live in a graveyard. We're fine with, with churches filled with, uh, and this is from Patrick again, broken people. I know you are all sinners. Stop it. If you are a sinner, knock it off. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. There's victory in this Christ. This is triumph over wickedness. We don't remember that we're not a graveyard. Maybe some... I think when we first bought this church, Brian and I were talking about wish we had a little more property so we could have a church graveyard right out there. We still have some property. So when the first of us die, and I'll probably be in the front of the line, maybe a small mausoleum right out here on the corner of the alley with some neon. Visit Evan's tomb. It should be an Evanileum, not a mausoleum. Mausoleus. It was named Mausoleum for the guy who was in it, Mausoleus. So, Evan Liam. But maybe that, maybe that sets our minds on a certain way that we, we end up thinking of them as places for death. You know, funerals are held here and, and graveyards outside and weddings, you know, dead things. We have this priestcraft going on, this, you know, we, we want the kind of moment that has some haze of incense right about here and some, you know, small young men in little robes, you know, tapping their heads with boards, singing, 
something with dominus in it. It's very, very reverent, but sometimes we rewrite a story in our mind that takes out the victory of Jesus Christ. I've told you this before, that we used to do Good Friday services with another church here in town at their church, and, and uh, I didn't like them, because even 2,000 years after our Lord's ascension, uh, the Christians were going to get together on a Friday and pretend he was just dying work up their emotional frame and I didn't like how easily they could do that it should be hard for you to imagine Christ dead Christ is alive I mean when we get together and you're in some sort of church where it says you know someone says he is risen and you say he is risen indeed um, I want a little bit more indeed out of that are you kidding me? Of course he is. How could I pretend for one moment that he was still dead? Wallowing in the passion. It's a historic truth, but my gosh, I know the end of the story. It's hard to get... Ever read a book again? Some books you could get caught up again in the process if you're pride and prejudice again. You can feel the romance of the moment as it develops. You know that Darcy and Elizabeth are going to get married. I'm sorry. I told, I'm sorry. <laughs> Tara, that's, what, that's how it is. I'm, you saw the movie. Now, if if you see how hard it is when you know the answer when you know the end of the story, to be gripped again by the story. Is your Christian life that way? Where you are among the living, you are the living yourself, you have considered yourself dead to sin and alive to God. They remember this, they run back to the rest of the disciples. All these women, and there's a gaggle of them, and what do the guys do? Like dudes, a bunch of women running in, telling them some story, that kind of thing that women would say. It's an idle tale. And they did not believe them. The word is nonsense. The word for idle tale. They were being nonsensical. Of course they were all worked up. Nobody wanted Jesus to die. Everybody wanted to believe Jesus was somehow still alive. It didn't happen to him that way. How could it be done? Now what I, you know, a lot of times, the next story in this section, starting with verse 13, is the story of the road to Emmaus, which we sometimes, because it just occurs in Luke, we pull it out and look at it separately. We have some great paintings of that scene. I think Rembrandt has one. I think Caravaggio has one. Very we like this element because these two disciples are not two of the twelve. We don't know one of them's name, the other's name is Cleopas. But they were, when you don't read it right out of this first part with the women coming back to the disciples, and it says, and he told this, verse 9, to the eleven and to all the rest. 
Verse 11, these words seem to them an idle tale. That's to the 11 and to all the rest. That very day, verse 13, two of them, same them. These two dudes who hadn't believed when the ladies came back from the graveyard and said, there were angels there who schooled us. Said that Jesus is alive. And the guy said, you don't know what you're talking about. These are the, the closest groups of people you can have to Jesus Christ. You have the 11, you have the other disciples, you have the women that have been waiting and serving on them for years now. They love Jesus Christ. Everybody's been there because of the teaching. But how we can place the wonder of certain things being said with, you might say, the historic and phenomenal claims that Christ makes. Liberal people like to have, strip all the phenomenal claims. That's what Thomas Jefferson did. Because they like the things said by Christ philosophically, ethically. They want to keep those things. These are people who heard all of the ethics and all of the eschatological claims about the end and about the nature of himself and God the Father and all sorts of other things that were making claims about who he was and what was going to happen. You go back through the Gospels, you can read them. Go, he's, he, he almost grabbed Peter by the lapels and says, you know, they're going to arrest me and kill me. He has... He has a story that he's been putting across to people. We've been living under it as well for 2,000 years. Everyone knows they get trotted off to church on Easter with their hat on. And they get the bunnies and they get the uh, eggs and the jelly beans. And they get told about Jesus rising from the dead. And more faithful churches, they're there every Sunday growing with their, their Bible story book on dad's knee being read the account of the myth that we choose to believe. If these guys had it in spades, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Oh, this has got to be insult. This is, if you knew what was going on, it's sort of got to be a gotcha moment, a punked situation, a, um, a trick. And it seemed very much like that. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, how much of that was Jesus going? What is it about the droids? These are not the droids you were looking for. This is not the Messiah you were looking for. I'm just a dude walking on the road with you. How much of it is them? Oh, we know it's the same group that heard that Jesus had been raised from the dead by the women who came back from the angels and, and, and come and tell them. And they're going, no. Either because their hopes were too strong and they couldn't believe their hope. Or they couldn't get it out of their mind what was natural to man. Once you're killed, you're killed. People didn't defeat death. Remember last week, I think it was last week, we spoke of the raising of Lazarus? These were all people who stood around while Lazarus was raised from the dead. 
So some of their eyes being shut is their own problem. Some of it probably is our Lord's. He seems to be up to something with them. I like the fact, not only he met with the, the women in the garden, where the angels did anyway, and in other Gospels have a, also meeting Mary. But then he shows up on a, on a road to a side town with a couple of guys one's not even named. He's not, he's not dropping in directly and only on John and Peter and James and those guys. And he said to them, what is this conversation which you're holding with each other as you walk? Now what happens to us in our graveyards is we think that Christianity belongs there, and so we import the conversation about our faith into a dead world where we do not live in the life that Christ has given us. But we bring all the stories in. So it sounds like it's a Christian world. And kids are raised in Christian, in quotes, churches, and do not believe because there's no life. You know, you ever have to tell people the kind of church you go to? It's, I mean, it's, it sounds like a dead church. All Souls Christian. Right? That sounds a bad choice of name. We could have been something like The Happening. <laughs> or The Edge. What could else go to you? Any other good ideas? Any real, really cheesy? All Souls Christian. It's like, invite the deadness in. What do you do there? We sing hymns. Oh, God, kill me now. Because everyone knows what that scene in the old Western movie, Clapboard White Church, and then you tell them it's a clapboard white church with a steeple and, and a bell. And off they go to the edge where there's life. I want you to be actually alive. Not pretending to be alive. But we know what that image is when you walk into the old church and the old coots are singing, you know, bringing in the sheaves, usually, I think. But you love the way you sing the things of God. You love the hymns. You love what Isaac Watts and Charles Wesley say of our Lord. Because we start to remember the words of our faith. We remember the words of, of this salvation we believe and listen to Cleopas. And they stood still, looking sad. That's what you do in a graveyard. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I mean, he couldn't say that to a less deserving person. Excuse me, I was just on a cross a couple days ago centerpiece of the story, but guy doesn't know it. And he said to them, what things? You know, Jesus is in on this. What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now you have to remember, this is pre-Christian. There's no pouring out of the Holy Spirit yet at Pentecost. The, the, the nature of man hasn't been changed in belief. These are believers who are, have varying degrees of the story, picked up varying degrees of the claim, varying degrees of the hope. 
It hasn't been quite clarified. But he's playing with the historic moments of the hope. because He says, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since this happened. It's been three days. I'm surprised you haven't picked up on this in the newspapers. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. And they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. What description? When Khalid read the claims of Paul in Antioch, what's the message you preach? Is it an unsure, unresolved, unconvinced story you like but don't really know, wishing it could be true but not quite, wishing you could point people to other believers and say, you want to meet some great folks? You want to meet people who pass from darkness to light? And small children who are sinners? He says to them, verse 25, this is Christ, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he had interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That was why it was wonderful, what was read this morning. Paul does the same thing, not with all the scriptures, but with some key ones that are repeated by the apostles throughout, speaking of the Holy One not seeing corruption, speaking of what was going on in the mind of God. Why are we, are you foolish? Are you slow? Now, just like the women back in the garden, back in the graveyard, they had to be told, don't you remember what you were told? Christ is telling the two disciples, don't you remember what's in the Bible? Do I have to, how many times does the word of God have to be dangled out in front of you about the great wonder that is our gospel? And you're wondering whether or not you have have you apprehended it? Have you, you just look at it and point at it to people and say, that's the gospel over there. Something to do with Jesus. I know a lot of people, I, that even I think are Christians, who could not tell me what the gospel was. What must a person believe to be saved? What is the nature of that salvation? What is the glory? Don't you know that he must suffer these things and enter into his glory? Here we are, the church, 2,000 years later, basking, we hope, in his glory. What's it say in 2 Corinthians 3? And we, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to the next. He has entered into his glory. You You have claimed that this is phenomenally so. Cleopas and the other dude 
who's probably eternally grateful, he's in heaven now, that he didn't get named. Because Cleopas is going to get razzed for, you know, everybody who comes into heaven is going to go, oh yeah, I know you. I read about you. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He appeared to be going further and they constrained him saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished out of their sight. Suddenly, whether it's this sermon or your time in the Word sometime this week or sometime two months ago, you were listening to what God had to say and finally it clicked. What is this all about? It's the forgiveness of sins. Everybody out there is living in a narrative where they're trying to excuse, rewrite their life, where they get to entertain all their selfishness, sin the way they want, object to people who don't sin the way they would like, and somehow not feel bad about the sins they commit. That's what they're up to. And trying to live life together with everybody arranging it so that they can have what they want. So they've got to negotiate a settlement. Say you're sorry to the other person. You've got to do a certain amount for other people so they'll let you do what you want to do when you want to do it. This is different. We're bad. He died. We're forgiven. They said to each other, verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? Just like you feel when you meet somebody you kind of know as a believer. Do you ever get to have those times of fellowship together where you're just talking about the good of God? And, it's, and you know you're talking about the life. Even if you're not completely right with God the way you are, you know what it is. And you know the glory of it. And your eyes are open and your heart burns within you. These were people that, like the women, they remembered. Initially they're frightened. Initially they're up against something that is far bigger than their belief could contain. But they're running back and telling the other people. The other guys are doubting and then they get hit by it on the road. And then, it's late. They had just stopped because it was too late to drive to the next Motel 6. They had stopped. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, which is about, what, seven miles, did it say? How many miles was it? Seven miles on foot. Back they go, through the night, because they've got to say something. When this changes for you, you want to be with the saints. You want to be with the others who who are dealing with this. We're all dealing with this to some degree or another. Some of you believe more than others of you believe. Those of us who have believed, who have been changed, who know what the change is, want to tell somebody. Now they found the eleven to gather together those who were with them, who said, the ones they get back to say, not they say, the Cleopas and his friend, 
They come in with this news and they get met at the door with, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Jesus has been busy being raised. Then they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So you can imagine the fellowship when you look you're looking about for the living now. You're not looking for the dead. They don't all run back to the graveyard. They all run back to where they were gathered together with the other people so inclined, so interested, who were about to be made living, who were encountering the living. That's where they ought to be looking. And just where they finished their story about the road to Emmaus, as they were saying this, verse 36, Jesus himself stood among them. But they were startled and frightened and supposed that they saw a spirit. Because our categories, we're talking about faith here, folks. You have got to kill, no pun intended, old categories about where you've placed Christ in your mind Is he only living in some diorama you've set up to look like Palestine, walking through there, doing miracles, being Jesus? Or is he God today, appearing in your life, showing up on the road with you, though you know, don't know it? Of course it startles, of course it frightens, and because they defined him as something else. There's Jesus in the room. Suddenly, what are you going to think? Oh yeah, we've had a few groups that have already seen him. We've already claimed to each other. We've met the Lord risen. And he shows up and immediately the categories shift back to it's got to be a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do questionings arise in your hearts? So, first, are we foolish? Are we slow? Did we just not pay attention? Are we wasting the Lord's time? What, what troubles you about this? Does the thought of our Lord being raised by the power of God for the forgiveness of sins, is that something you very much like to talk about. Or is a little embarrassing because your category for it is not just really absolute. You think you're telling a ghost story. See my hands and my feet that it is, I myself, handle me, and see. For a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see that I have. I like the path that this took through the passage. The angels show up and tell the women, don't you remember what he taught you when he was with you in Galilee? Jesus, with the guys to Emmaus, say, don't you remember what was taught in the scriptures? Let me show you what was taught in the scriptures. Jesus shows up with the rest of the disciples and says, Reality, deal with it. 
touch it. See the holes in my hand, like the whole Thomas moment. Place your hand in my side. And Thomas, who always gets maligned by being nicknamed Doubting Thomas, all of these guys are doubters. Is the doubting disciples. Even Peter. Oh, but Thomas gets maligned. Thomas, at least, after I think I mentioned this last week, that phrase, let us go with him, that we might die with him. And after he sees the risen Lord, he falls to his knees and says, my Lord and my God. That's where we have to be brought to. These guys are staggering their way forward, doubting the stories of other people, even doubting their own senses, feeling a certain response, guys disappearing and such. So of course it might be a vision, might be a spirit. Jesus finally says, no, this is absolutely real. I'm the guy they killed a few days ago. But I am raised. And do we say, my Lord and my God? This is all about coming back to life from death. Our belief is measured, you might say, with the angel's remark, why are you seeking the living among the dead? I like, I, I had to choose, because the passage went on for a little bit past this. He says in 41, And while they still disbelieved for joy and wondered, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? Been a rough few days. I mean, the Lord asked for a sandwich. Because he is risen. Indeed, the indeedness is in the sandwich. That's sandwich to you women. Men think of sandwiches. When you ask for a sandwich, they actually gave him a piece of broiled fish. But when you ask for a piece of broiled fish, when you ask for something to eat, the risenness, which is not, yeah, there it is, there he is, the indeedness of it is there. It drops anchor on it. The ghosts want to eat. It's where, right by the refrigerator, is where you would find the living. We go looking for the dead. We sometimes set up our religion to be kind of the aroma of death, not the aroma of life. We don't find our Christ by the fridge. We find him tacked up on some crucifix, writhing in some agony, in some grotesque remembrance of our Lord's suffering. I'm grateful when something like the Passion of the Christ is made, but it was just kind of a whiff of resurrection at the end, which is good. At least he did it, thankful. And he did die, and he did suffer. There's no doubt about that. It's great to meditate on that as well. But the, a lot of people have died for their faith. God, by his power, can be raised from the dead. And have it be indeed. What I would like you to do with it, you know your participation in whatever degree it is, because each are different and 
come from different backgrounds, theologically, churchy-wise, how much you believe. Think about what part of the story in your narrative selection, how close to indeed is it for you? How close to, um, I want to be with the living. I want to be in a church with the living. I want to have my family be alive in Christ. And you, you say about where I grew up with my folks, it never had anything to do with the church we attended. There's godliness in our home with nothing to do with the church. Everything to do with Christ. Now, that's the degree. I don't know what it is for you. Happy to chat with you about it. Get to the place where you don't look for the things of God in dead places. And you don't expect anything but life out of you. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your mercies, for your son's resurrection indeed. That you would sit with us and share a sandwich. Because you are alive and we would like to have our lives alive in you as well. That we think of ourselves as alive. That only death in us is the things that sin has become, dead to us. Bless us each as we search for this. In your son's name, amen.